0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world... But of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Matthew 1, verse 23 Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Father, we we thank you for your presence here. We don't even ask you to, to come be present because we know that you're here. We pray that from your word and by your spirit, you would give evidence of that. You would teach us of that. That you would teach us of this, this doctrine that is more than a, a cold doctrine, but is a truth about your nature that brings comfort. And we realize there is no comfort without you. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about nine years ago, about this time of the year, I got a call from a member of the Pastoral Search Committee from a church called St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And it was a phone call, and I was in my office, and on, on the other end of the phone was that deep, comforting voice of Ted Gant. And he said uh, that the committee would like to talk to me. And so we, we talked some, and uh, we set up a time, as I remember for January, it was really the, the next time we would be able to, to go in depth and talk, and so we, we were basically off and running, and here we are now. Now, suppose for a moment that happened again, not from this church, but I got a call from another church. We're pretending here, okay? But pretend that happened, and this other church, uh, the the person said, you know, we have uh, looked at your resume, we have uh, listened to sermons, we've gotten references about you, and so on. We are convinced that you're the one we want as our next pastor. And then... Suppose they went on to say, let me tell you a little bit more about the church. The church has a, a, a real vision for its community. There's great need. Now the church needs some real encouragement. But <clears throat> there's a need in the church. We think you would, you would match that. Um, we've got a, you know, a nice building and we, you know, even a place for you to live. Everything is all set. Will you come and be our pastor? That's not exactly how it works. It's a, it's a big old process, but pretend. We're pretending now. And then suppose I said this. Well, I'm, I'm very interested. Uh, can you tell me where this church is? And the person on the other end of the phone said, yes, it's in Ferguson, Missouri. Now, suppose I then said, oh, Ferguson, Missouri. Um, I'll tell you what. I am willing to come and I will preach for you on Sunday Sunday and I would be, I'd, I'd, I'd be glad to, to do that and be your pastor if, if this deal would work out. But I'm going to drive in and then I'm going to leave afterwards. And then I'll come back the next Sunday and so on. Well, you know what their answer would be. Their answer, and rightfully so, would be, well, no, that's not going to work. You know, you, you can't be our, our pastor if that's, if that's all you do. Now, why is this? Well, it's because if somebody's going to be a pastor of a, a church and minister to a church, they need to live where they do. They need to do life with their people and, and be present with them. That's the nature of a pastor. In a very tiny sense, that's the nature of the incarnation as well. Let's start with a definition. The eternal Son of God, without ceasing To be God took on a fully human nature. The eternal Son of God, without ceasing to be God, took on a fully human nature. That's the incarnation. It comes from incarnate in the flesh because that's what we talk about. It's literally the infleshing of the eternal God. Jesus becoming human. Now what we're going to do today, we're going to spend some time at the end applying this, but uh, every year we look at the incarnation. We're going to look at it from, from two angles today. From Uh, a gospel from the gospel of John, and then we're going to look at it also from the Apostle Paul and what he says about the Incarnation. So let's, in order to understand it from those, at least those two angles, let's start with uh, the Incarnation according to John. We're in John 1. Uh, He says this in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, later in the passage, it's going to be apparent who this Word is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is referring to Jesus. But here's what this says about it. Jesus was eternal. He wasn't invented. He wasn't... Created when he came to earth. He didn't, uh, you know, wasn't the first created, like some would say, and then was somehow worked his way into deity. He was from eternity to eternity, no beginning and no end. Now that's what makes him God. Now we, we are eternal in the sense of from now on that uh, we will uh, continue, but we aren't eternal the other direction. And that's what distinguishes us uh, certainly from God himself who was eternal, no beginning and no end. It's significant because it shows the kind of uh, humility Jesus had to go from the infinite to the finite. Here's what it says in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in in the position of the creator of the universe. Now, I know typically, I'm not speaking for everybody, but uh, typically people tend to think uh, the Father's the creator, But here we see it saying that the Son is the creator, and, of course, the Father is the creator as well. They both uh, partook in that role. And, of course, we're not talking about two different gods. We're talking about the, the Trinity who is one God. Scientists estimate that there are 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe, Now, I can't relate to that number. What that is is a 10 followed by 15 zeros. I can't relate to that number either. I'm just telling you, it's it's a huge number. And this scripture says, by him all things are made. So we're about to see that. Creator, the, the star maker, become a part of the creation. You know, I just I want to emphasize how long a trip that was for him to take. Down in verse 14, then, John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we see the incarnate part, the actual flesh. Uh, now, again, I'm, I'm afraid we're uh, tempted to think that even though He took on flesh, that uh, somehow His flesh was different than ours. I think that's the temptation. Um, here, here's the best thing that we could all do uh, to understand the incarnation, and that is to go downstairs to the baby nursery. Not today. We're not all going to do it today, but, but imagine going down to the baby nursery. That's what you have to, to look at to understand the incarnation. See, if Jesus was in the nursery at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, here's what would happen at some point. Uh, There'd be some, one of the nursery workers, we always have multiple ones, one of the nursery workers would be out walking down the hallway, and I've seen this, going, oh, he's having a fussy day today, you know. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough day. He must not have slept good. And trying to get him calmed down, you know. That, that would have been little baby Jesus. And then the other thing, I, I mean, if you're thinking his flesh is any different, was any different than ours. If he was in our nursery, one of our great deacons after worship, would be carrying in the bag his diapers out to the dumpster to put them in there. I'm not saying that to be crass. I'm saying that to emphasize he was a real baby, just like our babies. He took on flesh, just like ours. That's what he did when the Word became flesh. Everything that it is to be a baby and to be human, Jesus took on. Now let's think about it in terms of according to the Apostle Paul. Philippians 2, he says this in verse 5, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're trying to find Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. That's how you remember the order of them. <laughs> little seminary trick, I guess we learned. <laughs> Philippians 2. Verse uh, 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, here's what that's saying. In saying that, what Paul is emphasizing is the same thing our Westminster Shorter Catechism expresses, and that is that. The Son and the Spirit and the Father are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, they have different roles, but in terms of their being, ontologically, their very being, their essence, everything that it is to be God, The Father is. Everything that it is to be God, the Son is. And everything that it is to be God, the Holy Spirit is as well. They are all exactly equal. Now look at what he did, verse 7. Because we see he had, had, you know, everything that it is to be God. That's where he was. Here's what he did, verse 7. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, when it says he emptied himself, that does not mean that he emptied himself of his deity. In other words, when he came to earth, he didn't quit being God for a time. And then take it up again at some point. He remained fully God. He took on human flesh, a human body, and everything that it is to be human. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See? Hail the incarnate deity. That's what this is talking about. Until we grasp how different God is than man, we haven't grasped how awesome of a truth the incarnation is, how far he had to come for us. The creator becoming the form of his creation. The eternal one Being conceived, being a fetus, and being born. The infinite becoming finite. The omniscient and omnipotent one taking on a form where he needed to be potty trained. He needed to learn to walk, to add and subtract, to use the tools of a carpenter. God feeling the feelings of a human. The king of the universe being born in a stable. When we were in Israel, we uh, were at at one location, and they showed us uh, a manger from the time that uh, Jesus would have been born. It wasn't at all like I pictured, you know. I I picture what's in our little manger scene, you know, the little wooden thing with nice hay and and all that. It was a a hewn-out stone, that was open on one end. And evidently, they would have maybe put some hay or some, something soft in there. It was just another reminder. The, the humility of the king of the universe being born. Those are what constitute the longest journey at Christmas. Now let's, let's think in terms of some application here. The first, the first thing we've, we've got to understand in terms of the incarnation is, is that it's because of that that our salvation was provided for. Uh, Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If Jesus had not taken on the flesh, which whenever we say taking on the flesh, we need to understand that it's not just that he, you know, took on a body, but he wasn't really human. Uh, That's taking on the flesh means becoming human. Okay, so if he had not done that, then he could not have taken our place on the cross. God doesn't die. So if, if one is going to die for us, he has got to be fully human. We've talked about the necessity of him being fully God and the virgin birth last week and so on. So it was absolutely necessary for him to do that for our salvation. And then secondly... He relates to us because of taking on the flesh. This is what it says in Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, it says he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, when I was a young pastor I was asked to speak at uh, Pittsburgh's Rheumatoid Arthritis Society and they asked me to come and talk to them about the Christian view and what the Bible says about suffering. Now, Now being a young pastor, and I, I knew way more back then than I know now, okay? And uh, I, I saw it as a great opportunity, which it, which it was. But I, I still remember going into, the, it was in a hotel somewhere, and going into this room, and I saw those that were coming to the rheumatoid arthritis, Society of of Pittsburgh to hear me speak. Uh, Most of them were women. And most of them that were able to walk were limping in. And as I would meet them, most of them, their hands were not the shape that I'm sure they were years ago and most of them had lots of scars on their hands from surgeries that they had had. And then I stood up to speak to them about suffering. Now, they were very gracious, and they were very appreciative, I think, to a a young pastor. But it was evident to me and I have no doubt to them as well, that I had suffered less than anybody in that room physically, certainly. Now imagine if when I stood up, they saw my scars, and I had either rheumatoid arthritis or something similar that had caused... Similar suffering. It wouldn't have changed the truth at all, but you see how instantly it would have caused them to say, he gets it. He understands it. That's what we have with God in the flesh. He's a God who who gets it, who understands what we feel because he has felt similar feelings. That's the beauty of the incarnation. God with us is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he experienced them personally. That's a great comfort to me. I hope it is to you as well. And here's what Hebrews goes on to say. Because of that fact, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, that's what gives us confidence as we go to the throne of grace. We're going to one who we know gets it. Of course, God understands. But God was so tender with us that he wanted us to know that he knows. And then the third application should be comfort because of his presence. We've been given a great task in Matthew 28. This is what it says. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, we have talked about that and we'll continue to. That's what drives us here. But here's what he says with that task, with what he has for us to do. He says this, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want you to think of the lasting effect of the incarnation. Again, we might tend to limit the God with us to when He walked the earth. Well, if that's the case, then He also went away because He ascended to heaven. So, in what sense is He with us? He sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. That's the spirit of Christ. That was his plan. So the incarnation, he comes and he walks among us, and then he goes and and sits down at the right hand of the Father, and then he sends his spirit, so that wherever we go, and whatever's going on in our life, he's there. This is for his people. For those who are trusting in Christ alone. Someone told me the other day, a believer told me this, I'm in a pit and I'm all alone. Now, I acknowledged that that person could feel that way. You look at the Psalms, you see see that kind of a feeling. Christians can feel that way. But the fact is, there is no pit you can go to where you will be all alone if you're in Christ Jesus. There's no place where he is not. What does a child need when, when he's having a nightmare or when the monster's under his bed? What's he need? One thing. The Presence of a parent. That's Jesus' coming brought us his presence. In September of 1940, Witold Pilecki, who was a Polish army captain, he did the unthinkable. He snuck into Auschwitz. Auschwitz was the Nazi concentration camp. Pilecki knew there was something going on there. And as a a patriot, but more importantly, as a Christian, he could not stand by and just let whatever was going on there continue on. He was convinced, and he convinced those over him, that the only way to really find out was to go in. And so they came up with some uh, fake identification, making, uh, giving him a Jewish name. And he was arrested with one of the sweeps that was done there in Warsaw. And they took him to Auschwitz. He was a husband and father of two. Later he said this, I I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. He became just like every other prisoner. He was beaten, starved, threatened with death. And then as he continued to, to live there, he began to rally some resistance from Within. And in this sense, others like him began to record the kinds of atrocities that were taking place. They actually were able to, to put together uh, from scraps a, a radio and were making contact with those they felt could do something about this. Eventually, he uh, became, uh his, his job became uh, in the bakery there at the camp. He overpowered a guard and actually escaped. When he made his way back and reported what was going on, they thought he was exaggerating. He estimated that around 2 million souls had been killed. Of course, they later found out that it was accurate. Here's what a a, a contemporary uh, Jewish journal, how they summarized his life. Once he set his mind to the good, he never wavered, never stopped. He crossed the great human divide that separates knowing the right thing from doing the right thing. Jesus didn't run away from Auschwitz, from a lost and dying world. He deliberately, willingly, lovingly came into it. He walked into our world for us. Let's bow together. Lord, where can I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Thank you, Lord, for taking on the flesh, for our salvation to relate to us and to bring us comfort because of your presence. Thank you for coming to be with us and that you will never, ever leave or forsake us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.